This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 3-1 pitch, swing and a drive. Deep to right field, way up there, way out of here. Goodbye, baseball. Eight strikeouts for the King tonight and make it... 23 consecutive scoreless innings for Felix. Strike three called on the outside corner, and there it is. It's time for the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Kyle Seager, that just happened. Thank you very much. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. Welcome back to the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. Gary Hill back with you. Thanks for being here once again. Great to have you with us on what should be a very fun day on the podcast. Great conversation coming up in a few minutes. Aaron Goldsmith, a chance to sit down with Emmanuel Esfuentes. And this is one of those conversations that I really love. You get an inside look at something that happens on a daily basis with the Mariners. Something that goes on behind the scenes. So much work put in. And we get a behind-the-scenes look at what he does and how impactful it is on a day-to-day basis with the Mariners. Also, Rick Riz, a chance to sit down with Brett Boone, former Mariner and part of a very unique baseball family when you think about what the Boones have done through the years in Major League Baseball. Long conversation. He's going to talk about his family in baseball and also the 2001 Mariners. Great conversation that comes up, so I think you'll enjoy that one as well. Also, the Mariners taking on the Rangers in Game 2 of the series last night and falling 10-7, to another slugfest. And, man, right now it is so tough to slow down the Texas Rangers. That offense, that lineup is long, it is deep, it is powerful, and they are packing a punch. Swing and a well-hit ball deep to left field. Way out of here. Goodbye baseball over the top of the Ranger bullpen. Jonathan Lucroy is ninth home run of the season, and the Rangers now lead by a score of six to four here in the top of the fifth. Mariners could only hang two zeros on the board last night, one in the fourth, one in the sixth, over 200 pitches for the Mariners as a staff last night as the Rangers pound out 10 runs on 15 hits. Mariners, well, they got some offense going as well. Kyle Seeger checking in. 1-0 pitch here to Seeger. Swung on and driven deep to right. And that baby's going to travel out of here. Tie ball game at 4-4. Home run, Kyle Seeger. His 26th RBIs, 87 and 88. That baby was crushed. And he's poised to pass his career highs in, in everything. And he tied his career high in home runs with number 26 last night, having a really impressive year offensively. Again, a nice night for the Mariners offensively, but they just could not get enough pitching. Seven runs on 12 hits for the M's. Cruz had a couple of hits. Seager added a double. Martin, a couple of knocks, but not enough. As Paxton goes four and a third, gives up four earned runs. He did fan eight, but couldn't get through five. And then the bullpen, uh, the Rangers just took a piece out of uh, just about every guy that entered the fray. 
and the Rangers take game two of the series 10-7. to Here's what Scott Service had to say about the matchup. We could never just quite get out in front of it. <laughs> um, you know, I, I thought our, uh, our offense did a really a great job. We kept getting after it and trying to create opportunities and you know, we're one hit away a couple different times of trying getting the lead, getting out in front of it, but uh, we just, just couldn't do it. I think, uh, you know, their offense is obviously very good. It's rolling right now, um, and we're having a hard time slowing it down. I mean, uh, I think we only put up a couple zeros up there all night tonight, so um, that's it's difficult. It's difficult to win, and, you know, uh, packs is uh, stuff. Um, you know, like struck out eight of them. Uh, didn't walk anybody, but... Gave up plenty of hits and just made some mistakes in the middle of the play, which is obvious tonight because his stuff was fine. You know, I thought it was uh, was throwing the ball hard, breaking stuff maybe not quite as uh, sharp or or landing it as often as he needed to. But you know, not a good night when you throw like a hundred and some pitches and you know four and a third or whatever it was. He fouled the ball off his foot or I think it was first at bat. It was bothering him. Um, didn't even know if he'd go up for the last at bat, and then you know he did, and he got the first. And he said, uh, "I hope he's okay tomorrow. Um, I'm you know, getting him out of there, and a little swelling in the in the ankle. So hopefully he'll be okay. And speed's not a big part of his game, but obviously the mobility at second base, moving around and, and covering the ground there is really important. So hopefully we'll have him back in there tomorrow. Did you see that in the field? So. I did. I noticed it when he was running the bases the one time, and, and he made mention of it after that, um, and it was stiffening up on him. He just, just wasn't feeling good. So you gave him a pretty good jolt there. He's, he's swinging it well. Really did. I mean, number. I mean, you go back to you know, the home run he hit. Smitty comes off the bench. You know, nice to see him drive a ball. Cruzy hit the ball so hard at, at Beltre. You know, that's a big play in the game, obviously. Um, they had a few. You know, we, we hit some balls hard. Goody squared up a few balls that were not hits. Um, but, you know, they, they made plays, um, balls that we were able to score. I, I, you know, I just was hoping we could throw a couple consecutive zeros up there and let our offense get out ahead of it, but just never had that opportunity. Craig even tried to match up. They're a good club, yeah. Uh, we made a lot of different moves tonight. You know, it happens in September when you have different options down there. And we wanted to get Vendetti and kind of the left-left matching uh, him up and see how that would go. And um, I did okay job there, but then I kind of got extended, you know, uh, after that. Uh, through everything we had at him, just, just not enough to slow him down tonight. Jackson, you trying hard to get him through five there. And get, get... That's what we were hoping for. Um, you know, anytime the star goes out there and, and you've got to pull him before you get to five, it does. Uh, it gets it gets rough in the bullpen. Um, go through a lot of guys, and you know we're right on the edge. You know you don't want to uh, just you know go with the long guys right out of the shoot. You want to keep it close. I thought it was a good opportunity to bring Cshek in there. You know they they executed a hit and run, and you know got an extra run added on. So they were just able to do that all night. So back at it against the Rangers tonight. Seven ten first pitch from Safeco. Miranda against Griffin in Game 3 of the series. And, of course, these teams will hook up again on Thursday before the Mariners head to Oakland for a weekend series. So if the Mariners are going to get this series, they have to win tonight against the Rangers. Mariners come in two games above 500. The Rangers rolling 83-56 and 56 on the season. So let's go ahead and hand things over. Here's Aaron Goldsmith. This is a really exciting year for you. It's your third year with the Mariners, but it's your first year traveling with the ball club. You are the video advanced scout for the Mariners. So first of all, why don't you tell us just what that title means? 
Yeah, so basically my main responsibility is to look at other teams, uh, watch video, take it through a data process, um, and kind of combine the two and come up with information that is actionable for the coaching staff. And uh, essentially I'm responsible for making sure that the staff knows everything that they need to know about the team and they have enough to worry about themselves. So uh, I try to do my best on preparing them as well. So So when you're scouting, obviously a lot of teams – go through a process throughout the season where they are self-scouting but there's obviously a ton of scouting on the opponent what percentage of your work your video work is on the Mariners and what percentage is on the opposing team uh, I'd say right now it's probably about 95 percent on the opposing team and five percent on the Mariners we have a group of guys up in the office who do an awesome job at uh, just kind of looking at our team and looking at it from a uh, 10,000 foot view and making sure that everything's going right if they have anything that uh, needs to be um, that needs to be taken care of. That needs to be looked at. They'll shoot it to me, and I'll and, and I'll go ahead and relay it to the staff. So then, what's your kind of daily communication process like? Jerry Depoto is on some trips, not every trip. Of course, the whole coaching staff is everywhere we go. The players are here. So, what is kind of your mode of communication to how you distribute the information that you're finding? Yeah, so at the beginning of every series, we have a meeting that runs for about an hour to an hour and a half, and we go over every part of the game on the opposing team. We go over opposing hitters, opposing pitchers, times to play, defense positioning, their base running, their stolen bases, their uh, bunts, their squeezes, everything that you could possibly think of. We go over that in very much detail. Um, and then after that, it just kind of uh, it just kind of rolls on through the through, through the series. Uh, whether Mel has a question about a specific hitter that's uh, doing well against us at that time, if Edgar has a question about a reliever that came in and pitched on a Friday night, and he has a question on Saturday night. Um, and then last lastly, uh, Scott Service really likes to meet um, almost every day just to kind of go over brief overview on the previous game and an outlook on today's game. So. Where are you when the game's actually being played? It's a little bit of a mixed uh, thing. Sometimes I'm in the clubhouse and I watch the game on TV. Um, sometimes I'll go up in the booth with Jerry. Sometimes I go behind home plate. Uh, it just kind of depends on what's going on at that time, how much work I have to do on the next series, um, and just kind of what I'm looking for during the game. So obviously there is a lot of preparation before each series and before each game of that series. But how much information are you going through as the game is being processed? You mentioned Edgar might have a question, Mel might have a question. Are they coming to you in-game on some of these things? No, no, not really. Everything's done pre-game. Uh, once the game starts rolling, then then it's, it's all pretty much set. Every once in a while, there will be a rare occasion where we see something on video. A lot of times, I'll sit with Chris Prieto, and while he's doing a replay, we have a bunch of different angles there. Uh, if we see something on video, we'll call the dugout and relay it. Uh, if something's not going as planned that we had talked about, exposing a particular weakness that we're not necessarily exploiting during the game, then we'll call the dugout and talk about it. But aside from that, they're, they're, they're pretty good at putting the plan into action. So let's go back and talk a little bit about these meetings, the first game, or meeting the first game of every, of every series. They sound pretty lengthy. They sound very detailed. Your first year traveling with the team, as we mentioned, you've been with the team now for three years. How do you go about building a rapport with the players? Because obviously you were providing them with some pretty key information, but there had to have been a certain level of trust that you have to build up with these guys for them to, to buy what you're selling. 
Yeah, and that's a very good question. I would honestly say that's 100% coaching staff. <laughs> and, um, you know, once you kind of build that trust with the staff and, and the staff trusts me and, and what I do and, and what the guys upstairs do, um, it all kind of falls in, into place with the players. And it, it, But it all starts with the coaching staff. And if the coaching staff doesn't buy in, if the trust isn't there, uh, if the trust isn't built there with the staff, then it really doesn't go anywhere. So it, all credit, literally 100% goes to coaching staff on that. So as you've gotten to know Scott's service over the course of this season, can you tell us one thing that Scott really likes for you to focus in on each series, something that he keeps coming back to? Emmanuel, tell us about fill in the blank. Uh, I would say what the other manager likes to do. Okay. And it's a very general aspect, I guess, but uh, he really likes to know what the, how the other manager manages the game. Does he like to hit and run? Does he like to bunt? Does he like to steal? Will he squeeze? Uh, will he bring in their left-on-left guy in the sixth inning, or does he wait until the eighth inning, um, how he manages the bullpen in general. So uh, I would definitely say how, how the other manager actually manages the game. We're talking with Emmanuel Cifuentes, the video advanced scout for the Seattle Mariners, traveling with the Mariners for the first year. It's been great seeing you all around the ballparks and the hotels and the buses and everything else. From just a, a baseball fan's perspective, let's take your job out of it. What's it been like for you to come to all these big league ballparks this season? Uh, it's been amazing. I never thought I would see this many parks, uh, let alone see them with the major league team. <laughs> so it's been, it's been an absolute thrill. It's been a whirlwind. Uh, it's, it's a busy time, but... I've had a blast. We've gotten to go to Wrigley, which we don't play Chicago every year, let alone go to Chicago. Right. I've gotten to go to Fenway Park, and it's, it's been fantastic. So obviously when you come to the ballpark, especially on a beautiful sunny day, it's great to kind of feel like a baseball fan, only one that's in the dugout and on the field from time to time. But there's a lot of work. There must be a lot of work for you before you come to the ballpark. Can you kind of take us through your, your day-to-day routine? Yeah. Um, so I kind of in the mornings, I spend my time focusing on the next series, uh, watching video, going through opposing hitters and so forth. When I get to the ballpark, uh, it kind of shifts. I kind of go more towards today's game. Um, Scott likes to have some cards updated that he likes uh, to have in the dugout. So I go through the process of updating those cards for him, making sure that the lineups are right, posting the lineups up um, and just kind of doing any tedious day to day tasks for that game. Uh, after that set, I'll kind of get back towards the next series before, uh, right before the game, probably about an hour before the game, Scott will occasionally like to talk about their bullpen, our bullpen, our matchups, and so forth. Nelson Cruz told us not long ago that he goes back to the hotel or back to his home if we're back in Seattle every night and watches video on the next day's starting pitcher before he goes to sleep. He's already preparing for the next day. And this year, Every Mariners player has an iPad. That video gets uploaded so they can check out what's going on with the other team, especially the opposing starter. That sounds like something you must be very involved in. Is that true? Um, yes. Yeah. So uh, in terms of the iPad, we have a system. And uh, Jimmy Hartley, who's our video coordinator, he's in charge of making sure all the video is put onto that system and making sure that their starter is on there for the night before. Um, and he'll go ahead and go through the process of making sure, as of right now, we play Texas on Monday, that Texas gets up in a timely manner. Um, I'm responsible for making sure that the scouting reports are on there. So if any players want to reference the scouting report before looking at the video or during the, uh, during the video, um, they could go ahead and pull up that report and see what they like to do. And finally, Emmanuel, we have to know, there's somebody listening right now that is hearing you talk about your job who is saying, this sounds like the greatest job on the face of the planet. How did you get this job? Uh, that's a very interesting question. And, uh, 
it kind of goes back to college. I played baseball in college, um, and then that kind of led to getting on the staff there. Uh, I worked on staff for about two years over there. And uh, what's kind of interesting is my college, my, my high school baseball coach uh, works for a company called Inside Edge, and Inside Edge yeah. provides data to media and, and big league teams. And uh, when I was kind of in college, out of college, I was looking to make some more money, I called him up, and he let me uh, remotely chart games, and I would go home at night, watch a 7 o'clock game, chart a baseball game, uh, wake up in the morning, go to work at Pepperdine, and get home and do it all over again. And, and it was a lot of fun, and that kind of led to an internship with the Dodgers. Um, the Dodgers at the time were working with Inside Edge, and uh, I was able to get an internship there. I spent about six months there, and um, and this this job, it, it was kind of luck, to tell you the truth. <laughs> I, I kind of fell into my hands, and um, a, a guy that I worked with, the Dodgers, knows some guys with the Mariners, and uh, he put me in touch when this job became available. So, And you're enjoying Seattle? I love Seattle, yeah. And my, and my wife's from Tacoma, so, oh, really? yeah, or from the Tacoma area, okay. but uh, it, it works out well. Emmanuel, this has been a lot of fun. We have to do this more often. Thanks so much for the time. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. And now it's time for Rick Riz with Brett Boone. Well, it's always special to run into uh, an old friend, and I'll tell you what, this guy was one of the best in the business back in 2001, had an incredible year, and now he's an author. Brett Boone wrote a book called Home Game about his life in baseball, his uh, the life of all of his family members, his grandfather, Ray, dad, Bob, and other brother, Aaron. And, uh, Boney, tell us a little bit about what your life like been over the last few weeks on the book tour, and how's it gone? That's going pretty good. Um, you know, I'm not in day-to-day contact with how many we've sold, but, uh, you know, it was an interesting process, uh, an educational process for me. And at the end of the day, you know, I was a little pessimistic going into it, but... Um, after getting through it, it, it allowed me to kind of relive some of my childhood, and especially the grandfather stories yeah. that he told over and over. But, you know, reminiscing and, and reading through it, it was kind of cool, and it kind of it changed my opinion of writing a book. It was like, you know, this is kind of neat stuff behind the scenes to my family, who I'm very proud of, and, and all we've, you know, all my dad and my brother and my grandfather had accomplished, and uh, just kind of a unique look where I, I don't think there's really any other family that could have that kind of insight. And um, so it was cool. Just it brought up old memories of grandpa and, and fond memories. And uh, it was an interesting process, but the book tour gets a little long sometimes. <laughs> but uh, no, it's been fun. It's cool to, to see people. Oh, I've read the book and, and uh, they enjoy it. So uh, we're going we're gonna to do it one more time tomorrow here at Safeco. And I'll uh, probably take some time off from the book tour for a while. <laughs> I tell you what, I used to get such a kick, Boney, of walking into the clubhouse and going to uh, the Boone Corner there. You had about two, three lockers, and your grandfather would be there. And just to hear those stories, was that the genesis of how you got the idea of writing the book, Home Game, about your entire family? Well, I just had a, you know, a couple guys who were calling me for you know over the span of a year and trying to get and I And I really wasn't that guy that writes a book when he's finished uh, playing. You know, I'd seen two, two, three on the I've seen too many ex-players write some stuff you know, and, and stuff that I don't think should be published. You know, that clubhouse for these guys, you know, for people that have played, they know, but... But for us, that's kind of a safe haven. I mean, it's our office, and it's time to let our hair down. And, and it's not for anybody else's business except for us, those, those 25 guys down in that room. And I've just seen a lot over the years, uh, not necessarily secrets, but stuff that's, that's private being 
being shared publicly. I didn't want to do anything like that. But once they took the angle of let's talk about your family and how unique that was and grandfather being the first influence and growing up with, you know, my dad in Philly pretty much my whole life was uh, through college was was uh, my dad was still in the big leagues. And then my career and then Aaron came along. So, you know, I took it from that aspect. and I thought, you know, that might be an interesting book. And that's that's how it all came to be. Yeah, what a great retrospective to see the game of baseball from three generations in one family uh, like yours. Where have you been on the uh, book tour? Where has this thing taken you? I've been to, you know, I, I started in Seattle right when it came out about three, four months ago. And then we've gone to Philadelphia and uh, Cincinnati where I played for five years. Uh, and I did that a couple of weeks ago. That was that was kind of cool being back. I hadn't been in Cincinnati in a long time. Uh, back up here to Seattle. We've done some local stuff, the All-Star game. Um, so it's been four or five stops. And, and really after, after tomorrow I'm signing outside the team store, I think, inside the stadium from 11 till 2. And after that, I think, uh, as far as the book goes, uh, we're going to take a break on that for a while. Probably something, something's coming up, probably in New York or somewhere back east, uh, you know, as we get closer to the holidays. But uh, for now, we're probably going to shut it down for a month or two. <laughs> Visiting with former Mariners second baseman Brett Boone, uh, author of the book called Home Game, about his life in baseball, his entire family. What was a typical day in the Boone family when everybody got together, was that even possible with so many of you guys in baseball at the same time? Well, I think about the time I was getting to the big leagues. Aaron was in the minor leagues. You know, my dad was just out of the big leagues. So my dad and myself, we missed playing against or with each other by about a year. Wow. And so he was fresh out. He was, uh, you know, and I think this is about the time where he became manager of the Reds. It was either the Reds or Kansas City. I forget which came first. But Gramps was always around, especially when, when yeah. you know, we'd come in to play the Padres or the or the Dodgers. I'd always stay at the family house that I that I grew up, went to high school down in Orange County, and Gramps would always be there, you know, especially when we were in San Diego because that's where he was born and raised. And I'd see Gramps, he was always the first guy there, you know, <laughs> giving me a hard time. He was the guy that I'd get three hits. I know where you got it. I'd get three hits, hit a two-run homer, I'd come out, and he'd be like, what happened to that fourth at bat? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, Gramps, what about the other three? <laughs> I don't care about those. The fourth one, how can you chase that pitch? Um, it was, oh, I, looking back on it, it was so such a special thing. You know, Grandpa playing from, uh, I think he played from 47 to 59. And just the stories of the Ted Williams and, and the Bob Fellers and Hank Green. I mean, he goes on and on with these stories. I've heard every one 20 times. Yeah. You know, now that's that he, all. Now that he's now that he's gone, though, I realize how special those times were, and um, the, the 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 funnest part and the fondest memories I have is just, and it could be in the winter, in the off season, you know, around Thanksgiving or or Christmas when Grandpa was up at the house and we'd all have Christmas together and just sitting around talking about the eras, and he would always say, Ted Williams, the greatest hitter of all time. You know, my my dad would chime in and say, Steve Carlton had the best slider. And me and Aaron would be looking at him going, the game's way tougher today, guys. we got Randy Johnson had a way better slider than Steve Carlton, and that was how the arguments would start. Yeah. Aaron and myself were just kind of playing to get right. those guys riled up. 
But these guys were serious. Oh, damn, my grandpa would walk out of the room, throw a couple cuss words at us. <laughs> and I'd be like, Grass, we're just playing. You know, but me and Aaron would get a kick out of it. My dad and my grandpa are dead. And they're arguing about their right. area. They're like, don't, my dad would say, don't give me that Bob Feller. Steve Carlton's better than him. And, I, and we're, me and Aaron are sitting there going, well, the players today are way better than when you played. We're actually in shape. That's, that's amazing. How many families can actually even have that Zero. conversation? Zero. How many? Zero. Zero. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, and at the time, I think you take it for granted, you know, because it's just where you were born. It, it's like, no, my dad just went to the ballpark. I never thought, when I was a kid growing up, I never thought it was a big deal that my dad was in the big leagues. I just thought, this is job. what he does, yeah. whereas my buddies would go to their dad's work at the office. You know, I'd go to my dad's work at the ballpark. Um, but then when you grow up and, and, and you look back, especially, you know, when I first got to the big leagues, I looked back and, and I thought, wow, what a cool childhood I had. Yeah. Grandpa being a, an early influence on me, he was probably the first guy to put a glove and a bat in my hand. And then getting to grow up going to the ballpark in Philadelphia with those great teams with, you know, Pete Rose and Schmidt and Carlton and Trio and McGraw. And About a five-year-old kid, you were also on a talk show Mike oh, Douglas? Like the, the Mike Douglas showed yeah. blowing bubbles. Yeah. And, and But at the time, as a kid, you don't think anything. You just take yeah. it for granted. Like, this is just normal life. Yeah. And then uh, you look back and you realize how special it was. You know, my oldest kids got to grow up in a little bit here in Seattle. Not a, nearly as long as my dad. Well, my dad had me when he was... My mom and dad had me when they were 20. Yeah. And he played 19 years. So I got to pretty much be right there for his entire career. And... Um, so it was it was just neat stuff. And looking back, I have nothing but great memories and kind of a blessed childhood. You're going to have an extra chapter with Jakey. Is Jakey going to be the fourth generation of Boone to play in the big leagues? He's a good little player, man. I hate to put that on him. You know? And he's getting better as, as we go along, and he's growing into a young man now. He's got all his baby fat gone. I've been harping on him for years. You've got to train, man. You've got to get in the gym. But it just kind of took it to heart about a year and a half ago. And he just signed a letter of intent with, um, well, he verbally committed with uh, Princeton. Wow. So he's going to... He's, Scott he's, Bradley? Scott Bradley, yeah. yeah. And uh, so I'm, I'm pretty proud of uh, proud of that. I was wearing uh, my mom, actually. My It was either my mom or my dad. As soon as he we got word that he was committed to Princeton, they ordered a bunch of Princeton shirts. So I was wearing my Princeton shirt right. around, you know, we're walking up to people, go, ask me why I'm wearing this. <laughs> you know, I'm a proud papa. My son's going to an Ivy League, far from what I could... <laughs> I couldn't really qualify when I was going to college. You had your education uh, in minor league fields and in big league ballparks, visiting with Brett Boone, uh, signing books today here at uh, Safeco Field. So, to this one. That's okay. We can edit that. So, Boney, uh, i got to ask you about the 2001 season. Remarkable year. You guys went out and won more games than anybody in the history of the game of baseball. 116 victories. What in the world was that like coming out to the ballpark every day with that team? Once again, that was kind of a surreal year. You know, it's something that was like, you know, before that season, I never believed in karma or, you know, they'd always talk about, oh, there's something about that team. They've got something, you know, it's, they get along. So I never thought it, there was an aura or karma. I just thought you get the best players, you run them out there, and you roll over people, you know. Coming off, I played for the Braves in 99, great team. I think we won 104, 105 games. And when I got to Seattle, I changed my belief. There was just something about that team. I mean, tremendous team. We had all-stars and uh, batting champs, gold glove winners all over the field. But there was something different that year. It was just 
we'd walk into the field and the other team would almost know they were going to lose. And it's nothing I can explain. It's never happened to me before. And it'll probably, in our lifetime, there's a good chance we'll never see it again. Yeah. But you just look at it, what a miraculous, magical year the Cubs are having this year. Yeah. And they're probably not even going to be close to that no. number. And it's fun. they're 40 games over 500, and they're not even close. So that just tells you how special that year was. Uh, awesome group of guys. And, and it's funny to me. Well, you know, the Mariners, they weren't that they weren't the greatest team ever. Well, look around that field. You got all stars. You got Gold Glovers everywhere. You know, Edgar and Ole were batting champs. Uh, you had an incredible year. One hundred and forty-one RBIs. Yeah. Thirty something home runs. But it was, you know, it was was key to that team. It, it wasn't necessarily the guys that had the huge numbers that year, and a lot of us did. Uh, but it was it was the whole team. It was Stan Javier in left field. It was Mark McLemore playing all right. over the place. Right. And then there were unsung heroes, David Bell playing an unbelievable right. third base, Danny Wilson running that staff. Uh, I, I think that year nobody missed a, missed a start in our starting rotation. Uh, Ichiro, that was his first year over, came over as the top of the lineup. Uh, and then you had the bullpen. You had Char- Charlton out there yeah. as the specialty yeah. lefty. You had Arthur and yeah. Nelly setting up Kazuhiro. And then you had a bunch of other guys in the middle. You had Ryan Franklin was our swing guy. Paul Abbott won 17 games. 17. I think Jamie won 20. Uh, Big Fred won 18 or 19. Uh, and I think that was Pinero's first year. where He was, he was our fifth guy, and he won 15. Yeah. Uh, there's one guy, Seeley. Yeah, Seeley had a lot of wins that year. It was just a magical year, through and through. Like I said, we'd take the field, or it'd be seven to five in the in the seventh, and we knew the game. We were losing. We knew the game was over. We knew we were going to win, and the other team knew we were going to win. And, and it's something, like I said, I'd never witnessed it before that year, and I'll probably never see it again, but it was definitely a, a special year, and the guys in that clubhouse knew it. Yeah. The only thing we can't figure out is how we didn't finish the deal, <laughs> yeah. how we didn't do it. So, Visiting with Brett Boone, and Brett, what did you learn about yourself uh, writing this book, and what are we going to learn as we read uh, the book Home Game? Well, I'll tell you what was funny. Uh, is After it got done, I, I got a phone call from the audio version people. And they said, we'd like to interview you to uh, see if we'd like to use your voice on the, on the, I don't know what it's called, but, you know, when you order an audio version, it's my voice. And uh, I learned that I can't stand listening to myself. I don't know how you do it, Riz. Listen to yourself. I mean, you know, you think you got a cool voice and you, hey, and in the bottom of the ninth, and then I hear it back and I'm just cringe. I'm going, oh, I hate it. But uh, and that was one of the toughest jobs I've ever had. It took me about 18 hours to do the entire book with, you know, because if you don't read a sentence right, right. you got to go back and, and you start to see stars by the end of those days. Um, I don't know. It, 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 it was interesting. Um, like I said, I think the best part for me was just kind of reminiscing over family stuff, family stories. Uh, you know, if you when you read this, it's an easy read. When you read this book, you're not going to get the dirt or yeah. the who did what or who did yeah. this or you know. Um, but 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 you're going to get a lot of honesty, uh, few facts that you normally wouldn't get. But if you want that controversial book, you're not going to get that. Uh, it's just an educational book. And then in the, in the book, I talk a lot about the game today. And, and I give a little teaching chapter of, you know, it's not about just the physical in this game. It's about how to act like a big leaguer, how to think like a big leaguer, how to prepare for a game as a hitter, how to prepare as a pitcher. 
uh, you know, I learned a lot of things, uh, those things in my career from, from teammates, you know. Edgar, especially on the hitting side of, me and Edgar never talked about how we physically hit. We, we you know, great hitters always get to the same spot when the ball's in the hitting zone. How we get there is completely different. Uh, Edgar and myself, our stances were completely different. Remember your two-strike stance, you change your, completely change your stance. And that was for me, and that worked for me. Uh, but what Edgar helped me was how to prepare for at-bats, how to think uh, in, you know, five, five batters before you got up. So my goal when I came here, and I kind of elevated my career and I went to a different level as far as a player, but I had a plan and a, and a preparation. You know, I see it with Edgar. I see it with, a, with guys like Manny Ramirez, who are just geniuses when they step in that box. And uh, I started doing that. And, and so when I left that on-deck circle, my mind was clear. I had my plan. I was going to the plate, and I didn't waver from that plan. And I knew sometimes I was going to get burned on my own plan. But if I stuck with that for 162 games, I was going to win more than I lost. And, uh, you know, so it's interesting stuff like that in the book. Uh, a lot of stories about Grandpa, his era, some fun stories that happened to me in my career. Uh, and then, you know, we cover a lot about uh, Aaron and the home run, and I was in the booth, and I didn't know what to do, and uh, just some cool stuff. You know, I, I'll share one with you. Yeah. The grandfathers were the, were the most – there were two stories that I really liked. Uh, my grandpa, not only was he the – he was probably the proudest man I've ever been around. Proud first about his generation, his era. I mean, he would protect his guys to the end of the earth. And proud, proudest man I've ever, I've ever seen when it came to his family. And um, this is in 2004. He gets sick. It's rushed to the hospital. And I had to go back to San Diego to see him after a day game here in Seattle. And I flew, and I'd see it, and he didn't look good. You know, he was very real bloated and all, all these machines. He couldn't talk. And all he could do was write on a chalkboard. And he wrote to me, Jake Peavy was a young pitcher coming up with the Padres. And Gramps was a scout for the last 40 years of his life. And he wrote on a chalkboard, this Jake Peavy kid's got a chance to be a good pitcher. <laughs> and he said, and yes, Barry Bonds is a better hitter than Ted Williams. Oh he said God. that. No I way. started crying. I knew he was going to pass away. I knew he wasn't oh. going to live to live that down. I knew when he said that, Gramps was going to die, and uh, oh. because he would never admit that, ever. Yeah. And, you know, that was, and that still choked me up when I was writing it. You know, now it took me back to that time. And, you know, that's one story, and I had a story about the night Aaron hit the home run, and the night before I went in and I kind of gave him a pep talk, because he was having a terrible series, and he was down, and I said, listen, you know, who am I? My season's over. I'm there doing the announcing. I'm kind of going, you know, I'm going out with the guys and having some beers. And um, I walk into his room and I said, Aaron, what the hell's wrong with you? Let's go. Get that, quit pouting. You're a big leaguer. And I said, you know, no matter what happens, I said, no matter what happens in this, if you go out tomorrow and hit a sacrifice fly or a ground ball that drives in a run to tie the game, Every, and you win this series. I said, nobody's going to remember that you had a terrible series against Boston. And the next day, I didn't think it was going to be that big of a hit. He came on as a pinch hitter, hit the home run. I was in awe. I would never go into the Yankees clubhouse. I went down to the Yankees clubhouse, you know, all these celebrities. Billy Crystal, I remember, is trying to get in the clubhouse. I'm like, this isn't your, this isn't your venue, buddy. Get out of the way. <laughs> but I went in there, gave him a quick hug, which I hate being in other people's clubhouse. And I had a lot of friends on the Yankees and right. guys that I respected, but... I hated going into the enemy's clubhouse. Yeah. 
And I, but that was a, a special time. I had to go give him a hug. I gave him a hug. He said, all right, we're having a party. You know, it was one of those, un, you know, they're not going to tell you where it is, but it's on an undisclosed location. The Yankees were having a little get-together. So it was this bar downtown where, you know, Aaron texts me the address, and I walk in, and I think it was Bernie Williams. I can't remember. He said, you've got to give your brother a toast. So I stood up on this rickety table, and it was I was trying to balance on it. And it was all the Yankees and their wives. So once again, I was in enemy territory. And I held a glass up, and I said, Ladies and gentlemen, for one night and for one night only, I am happy to say, I am happy to say that I am Aaron Boone's brother. Thank you and good night. Got off the table and I got out of there. So it's just full of stories like that, like feel good stories, but interesting stories. You know, what went on behind the scenes and uh, cool stuff. And I hope to hope that people enjoy it. Well, folks, get out and get the book uh, on Amazon, your favorite bookstore. It's called Home Game, The Life and Times of Brett Boone in Baseball with his brother Aaron, his dad Bob, his grandfather Ray Boone. And we're so happy, Brett, that uh, number one, you became a Seattle Mariner. Number two, you're able to write this book because the Boone family is about the history of the game of baseball. No other family has gone through what you have gone through, three generations of baseball history and uh man we can't thank you enough thanks for stopping by buddy wish you all the best with the book and the book signing hope you do so well with it great to see you thanks rick see you later okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can conquer it i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road any road the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.